0: Once again, welcome everyone to our Monday night gathering here. Uh, really, again, such a delight to see all of you. A long time ago in my life, I was learning to play the piano. And I, I, I loved it. I loved the whole process of it. And at one point, I had uh, access to some practice rooms for music. I don't know if anybody's in the music world and know what practice rooms are um but if you've been in in such a building with practice rooms at least the one i was in it's it's like there's this hallway and in that hallway there's a series of smaller rooms and some of the rooms have pianos in them and some of them are are just uh empty and and they're they're soundproof they're kind of soundproof that's the kind of interesting thing about them they're they're meant to be soundproof so you can have a variety of people practicing in there in this one kind of uh, place. So I'd go there and practice uh, piano. It was great. Here's this piano that I could uh, uh, practice on. And one of the things that I, I have to admit that I loved when I went there is you could hear other people just a little bit practicing. You know, as you walk down the hall, you know, whatever instrument they were playing, playing whether it's the piano or there was two people singing or something like that, you could get a sense of what was going on. And I remember going there a number of times and I uh, started to know someone who practiced there at a, a similar time that I was practicing there. And this was someone who had an aspiration to be a concert pianist who had gone through so much training and practice and was also performing quite a bit. So both performance and practice. So much of her life was just dedicated, had been dedicated already to that. And I do remember, at least the way my, I could say my heart remembers it, I remember walking down the hall and I would hear her play and and she was such an amazing, amazing pianist. You know, even from the muted sound, it was kind of quiet because it was being (laughs) quieted by the rooms there. And it felt like I could, I could hear her passion and devotion to music. It's like, oh, it's there in the music, and I can feel that. And it felt like I could uh, feel her commitment to music itself. It's like I was hearing the hours and hours of diligent practice coming into the form of beautiful sound. And those moments of walking down the hall, I felt moved. I felt inspired around playing music. And I want to be clear. I was never good at playing the piano. (laughs) And yet I was moved. I was inspired. The reason I share this with you is because also for me, a dharma practice, this practice, this path can have a similar flavor to it. The practice like an artist, like being an artist that brings beauty into the world. And I love imagining that this is what the Buddha was doing. All he was doing was he brought beauty into this world, and then he invited others to engage in such beautiful things just the beauty of a different way of being in the world. What a wonderful thing to taste, what a wonderful thing to offer to the world, as if I'm offering a new song for the world to hear and a new song for me to sing. And that all of this emerges In a similar way, it emerges through diligent practice that needs to be fueled by passion, by devotion. Just like that woman I heard playing the the piano again and again and again, and I was moved by it. And it's through diligent practice that a beautiful song can be brought into the world about being in the world in a different way. So hopefully you can hear this framework of Dharma practice as some kind of artistic endeavor. It does inspire me. And and I want to be clear, there can be many different frameworks for how to get a feeling of what this path and practice is about. I'm just sharing one. And I think with each framework, it has its advantages, ways that it can move the heart, and there can be kind of disadvantages too. So I'm not saying like this is the one you need to have. But rather, it's uh, it's just an invitation to take this notion up and to play with it, to see if it inspires you in some way. So it's more about when I offer these reflections, is this a framework that feels useful for you or not in terms of whatever your spiritual practice is? Is it inspiring? Does it move your heart? Does it create a sense of curiosity, of interest, of passion and devotion? And I also have to say that this, this talk was also inspired by a book that was written for a different realm. It's a, a, a book titled called The Practice of Practice. And it's it's for musicians. It's by this author, Jonathan Har- Arnum, uh, Harnum, And it's great because a practitioner had read it and she was like, Brian, you gotta read this book. Not because you're gonna get into music again, but because there's so many of these connections that can happen with Dharma practice. So I am uh, I have a, a gratitude for that practitioner to share this book with me. Because it was, it was interesting to read aspects of it and to get a sense of um, this path that we're on. And I'm gonna share with you just a few excerpts uh, now and then from this book. Also, I do find this framework of that we're engaged in some kind of artistic endeavor, like music or painting or something like that. Because it uh, for me, it fits so well of how the Buddha describes this path, at least in certain places in these early texts. Like in these early texts, the Buddha uh, speaks a lot about cultivation. The, the Pali word, Pali, one of the early scriptural languages of Buddhism, is bhavana. So like there's this phrase metta bhavana, which means it's the cultivation, it's the nourishment, learning the skill of loving kindness, metta. And it's often the word that's used uh, uh, for the word that we use, meditation. I engage in bhavana. It's a cultivation. And there's another word, uh, kusala, which is often translated as wholesome, like engaging in some wholesome, wholesome deed, like generosity. Yet it can also be translated as skillfulness, which I really appreciate. Oh, this is a skillful act. I'm learning the skill. I'm learning the art of generosity. I'm learning the art of kindness, the art of compassion. I'm learning this art of presence, of mindfulness. It's a kind of skill that I cultivate, just as I would when I'm a musician. So what's it like to get a sense of, oh, this path and practice, it's this artistic skill that as i began with can bring beauty into the world and i think that's also a frame that fits so well with buddhism like there's a stock phrase you find these stock phrases in these early texts and one of them is describing the buddha his qualities and one of his qualities is the buddha the buddha teaches the dhamma and the dhamma that is beautiful in the beginning it's beautiful in the middle and it's beautiful in the end So I engage in Dharma practice or the Dhamma in in Pali. I'm engaging in beauty, bringing beauty into the world, the beauty of non-harming, the beauty of presence, the beauty of joy. And you can probably agree with me on this. I think in these times, we need such beauty in our world. So I want to take a a few steps further with this framework, this way of perceiving dharma practice to kind of dig into it a little bit of what what can come alive from this perspective. So one thing that I think can come alive is that it, it can switch things around a little bit in terms of how I'm relating to even like daily or regular meditation practice. Cause sometimes what I notice, if I really have the sense of like, oh yeah, it's just like when I was playing piano, like this artistic endeavor, it gets me out of the perspective of, I need to sit this amount every day. Cause sometimes when I have that, that kind of phrase, what's it connected with is this feeling of uh, like meditation is feeling like brushing my teeth. And I wanna be clear, I'm into brushing my teeth. (laughs) Might not always look like it, but I am. (laughs) But sometimes there's that frame for meditation. You know, you brush your teeth to make sure your teeth are healthy. And then meditation is something you do for your emotional and mental hygiene and well-being. That's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. It's good stuff. But there's not a lot of artistic vision in that And it feels different when it's just like brushing my teeth. It's a good thing I have to do in order to stay healthy and have a sense of well-being. And so I don't have to go to the dentist as much. But boy, doesn't that feel a little bit different than what I was sharing with you is meditation is learning the art of like playing music and being able to be moved by that music when you notice it in others how it can create a sense of passion and devotion, and most importantly, something so beautiful. Something that makes my heart want to sing. Brushing my teeth doesn't make my heart want to sing. I mean, I want to be careful. There might be dentists here. or (laughs) That really does, and I want to open up the space for that. So... I'm just talking about myself, yeah. (laughs) Right, and then something gets ignited even in my regular meditation. Then what gets ignited is is like I have a sense of curiosity and exploration. This is what I remember about playing piano even though I wasn't so good as I was so curious about the whole process of learning a piece of music and I wanted to explore it. And then when there is that's in my meditation, my regular meditation, I have this curiosity. Maybe I'm practicing loving kindness practice. What's this like today? What does it feel like? How do I allow myself to really savor this and allow it to open my heart? What's it like to, to really navigate the mind always wanting to think? This is so cool. This is an exploration. What can I learn from this? Can I learn the skill of navigating my thinking mind? Can I learn the skill of navigating emotions? As if I'm learning, like a prelude from Chopin, on uh, on the piano. How can I really get the feel of this? And then when I'm into that, it it it, uh, it starts to fuel these other this other quality, which is so important for this path. Uh, the Pali polyphrases dhamma Chanda. Dhamma is just really the teachings, or you can say this whole path. And chanda uh, is translated many different ways. Sometimes it's zeal. I think the way that I like to translate it, which fits, is passion. You know, when I'm into like music, I have passion for music. When I'm into this path and this practice, I have a passion and devotion to it. Just like that woman I was hearing play the piano when I walked down the hall. But I was so inspired by her passion and devotion, I heard her so moving. And when I have that for the this path in practice, something comes alive. The Buddha was, he was a passionate dude. He really was. Like if you imagine, here he is, he's living in this really decked out palace the most opulent of lives. And then he's like, I'm going to ditch this. I'm over this scene. Instead, I'm going to just go out with just enough clothing to wear. I'm going to beg for my food, live in the forests, and do this practice and see if I can discover a way to awakening. You need passion for that. A lot, and you need devotion. And when I tap in for myself to that passion and devotion, and and especially around an artistic endeavor, it feels like there's this whole vast world I get to explore and play in, this mind, this heart, where I get to shape it in this different way. And then it stops being about if I'm getting it right or if I'm getting it wrong, and rather exploration. Like in this book, The Practice of Practice, the author quotes um, this famous uh, flute player, uh, James Galway. And he says, which I think is interesting coming from him, he says, I don't consider myself as having mastered the flute, but I get a real kick out of trying. Mm So what is he what is he landing on when he shares that? To me, that's an expression of the joy of continuing to learn and to learn and to learn. That's the joy of artistic endeavor. That's different than the joy of, I got it. There's something kind of dead about that. It might feel good for a while, but there's something alive about, I'm just gonna get a real kick out of trying. Right. and this quote i think points to the skill the skill of being passionate in terms of an artistic artistic endeavor without getting entangled with of kind of like getting obsessed of i need to be someone special or great or i need to get it down i'm more more interested in the process There's another part of the book that I find helpful that that also kind of sets the stage for this framework where the author is talking about having an appropriate mindset for practice. And he says there's two different mindsets. This comes from, from this research by uh, Carol Dweck. Um, either there's a, a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. And this researcher did this really around... Um, the development of uh, of intelligence, but it, it it really fits so well with expanding into learning a skill like the skill of playing music or the skill of Dharma practice. And I'm sure you get a sense of maybe just with these phrases, what these different ones are, like the fixed mindset is this view that this is the way I am and I can't change. And it's tricky because in on this path in practice, Yeah, there's a place for me to accept myself as I am. This has been a big part of my journey is just to be able to be like, okay with how I am right now. So this is, I think the fixed mindset is something different than that. The acceptance often feels onward leading to me. When I'm in a fixed mindset, this is the way I am and I can't change. It feels like a dead end. and it's important to notice that growth is possible growth is possible even into the last days as i'm dying and then the growth mindset is just that it's this sense that growth is possible and in you know the the realm of uh, kind of music the, the way this kind of uh, frames out is that sometimes Uh, there's this idea that someone has talent or they don't have talent. That's actually coming from a fixed mindset rather than something can be cultivated and nurtured and that growth is possible. And I wanna make this connection between growth mindset and a teaching that's often, uh, uh, there's a lot of confusion around which are the teachings on karma. Because the teachings on karma are all about the growth mindset. Yet teachings on karma karma are often taken as an affirmation of the fixed mindset. Like, for example, I've done something unskillful in the past, and now it's just playing out. I just got to deal with my quote-unquote karma, my bad karma. Bad things happen to me because of what I did in the past, and I can't do anything about it. I'm faded. I wanna be clear, at least in terms of the way the Buddha talks about it. He didn't talk about karma in that way. Rather, it's noticing, oh, I might've done something unskillful in the past, but right now in this moment, there's an ability to shape this mind stream, shape this heart in a different direction. I always have possibility right now. And this is the groundwork for this path and this practice. This moment, it contains possibility. Without possibility in this moment, there's no path, there's no practice. And then when I've done something unskillful, it's so interesting, then I can act in this moment in relationship to that unskillful act. Oops, I made a mistake. I can apologize. I can make amends. I can do what I can do. I can't get rid of that and I can't erase it, but I can respond from a different place. And karma reminds me of that, of my possibility, because it's, it's rooted in a growth mindset, regardless of what's happened or what I've done in the past. So I want to share with you just a little bit more about these mindsets, because I find it interesting in, 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 of what the author says in the in the book. He says, when people with a fixed mindset experienced, f- experience failure or even a few difficulties, they often abandon the task because it feels like evidence to them that they're not smart or not good at, at the task. And then this is yet another blow to the ego because any kind of failure is taken as a reflection of one's own fundamental nature. This is the fixed mindset. This is just who I am. I suck at this. Of course, they go on, of course, nobody uh, likes to look stupid, but to a person with a fixed mindset, looking stupid ends up being the same thing as being stupid. It's a small but absolutely vital distinction. I do something skillful, but it doesn't mean that I am a horrible person. The act was unskillful, but it doesn't say anything about me fundamentally. We all make mistakes. And then the author continues, on the other hand, those with a growth mindset believe that intelligence, or we can say in this context, a skill is something that can be grown. It can be grown with effort. And then effort and challenges are what make a certain skill grow and flower and bear juicy fruit. People with a growth mindset aren't as attached to demonstrating their skill because they know it can be increased. And so it isn't a fundamental, unvarying aspect of their sense of self. Isn't that interesting? Like when I'm really rooted in the growth growth uh, mindset, I don't have to show people how skillful I am because I'm just engaged in increasing the skill and it can go on and I'm not landing there. There's a fluidity there. So those of you who know this, these teachings around the safe, selfless nature of experience, it's it's being more fluid about myself. Like this is where I find my value. I find my value because I'm a learner rather than because i've reached some kind of place and when you hear that what i find is that's so relieving rather than needing to be perfect or always right it's like no i'm 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 a learner and then he says you know we we are all sensitive to whatever thinks uh, others think of us nobody likes to look dumb but if you hold a growth mindset when you fail or are faced with a difficult challenge, it's not such a blow to the to, to the ego. Mm-hmm. This is what comes with this. I also wanna point out that hopefully you're hearing with this growth mindset, what it requires is it does require kindness and compassion towards myself because I'm going to make mistakes. That's what it is to grow, I'm gonna make mistakes. I made so many mistakes playing the piano. Why would I think that, I, that I, I could give myself so much permission to make mistakes on the piano and not in my life? That's kind of a strange thing. I'm learning the skill, I'm learning the skill of living still. So if that's the case, it requires that I love myself no matter what happens. I need that for a growth mindset. So you might want to become curious about this. What's the mindset that's there for you as the days pass? Is it a fixed mindset or is it a growth mindset? And and I I, I just want to be honest with you. It's, at least for me, I I I don't have complete control over the mindset that I that I want. Would not it be cool if you did, like just growth mindset all the time? No more fixed mindset. Done. (laughs) Phew. Life's so much better. So I do want to point out, at least for me, it's been a process. A process of learning this. And then there's another um, element. There's a couple more elements I want to share with you. Because I think this is important, especially in Dharma practice. And this is what I'm gonna call this realm of context or environment, because there can be some confusion around this. So my partner, Robin, actually she's gonna give give a Dharma talk next week. Yet anyway, she, for her, uh, harmonizing, singing with others and being able to harmonize is so easy and natural for her. It's just like, it's amazing. And 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 her, her family will kind of joke about it. It's like, and she even sometimes says, sometimes it just feels like I was born with it. And sometimes she told me the family story is, is that she sang harmony before she sang melody. I don't think that's true, but it's an interesting story and when we talk about this she also knows that that is not the case and this is important because actually some of those ideas are a fixed mindset idea because it's fixing someone of like here's just born with it but there's something else that's really going on in this story that's really important is that uh she was surrounded by music. This was a part of her family culture. So she was just swimming in it it, just when she was really little. This was the context and the environment that she was in. She was hearing music, she was singing music. It was all around her. So the way this arose is because of her context. Since she was swimming in it, it was so much easier for her to begin to gradually learn how to sing and then eventually know how to harmonize. And for her, since she was in that context, it didn't feel so much like, oh, I need to go and practice music now. It was just her life. And I wanna say this is such an important aspect of Dharma practice, which is community sangha is the word because there's a, a knowing that this is also how i learned i learned so much from the context in, in environments that i'm in there's been so much studying this you know so so much of the research around modeling is around this so this is the the purpose of starting to connect with community. It's also the purpose of retreats. Like like we just had a weekend retreat and the purpose of retreat is, yeah, to learn the skill of trying again and again and again around meditation, but it's also to be in that field, a field of kindness, the field of silence, the field of compassion, just as it was for Robin. So just I'm surrounded by it. So my system is picking it up. That's also a way of learning. And so often when I'm coming into a space of Sangha, even like this on a Monday night or a retreat, I'm allowing my heart just to soak in the silence. It's a unique thing, don't you think? How how often do you get to be in a group of folks where you're just silent? To taste silence and the power of it. Or where there's this value of presence or a different rhythm. It's like my heart learned something from this. And it's a beautiful gift to offer when you engage in such spaces. And it's not so much because of what we say to each other. It could be how we are with each other, which then goes back to art. As Georgia Georgia O'Keeffe says, she says, I found I could say things with color and shapes that I couldn't say any other way. Things I had no words for. like simply expressing oneself through silence, through being silent. This was one of the things that was so deeply moving for me at the beginning of my practice. I was in the UK and I went to go visit a monastery and I went to this monastery and there was a a monastic there, Ajahn Sumedho, and I remember going in, it was in the morning. It seemed like he was kind of giving a Dharma talk, but he was just kind of hanging out there. So I walk into this room and here's this guy, he's just sitting there in silence for a long time. And it's not like a formal meditation time. He's just kind of sitting there and then he'll say some things and then there's a lot of silence. I don't remember anything he said, but I remember his silence. It moved me, it was palpable, it inspired me. So where can you find friends, community, To support to create this environment this this context and i want to be clear i do want to name to just offer a, a caveat here too like here i am comparing this to learning how to play music and i think there's an important distinction and i find this important to remember for dharma practice what i loved about practicing music like i was in a jazz band for a while and it was so cool we would practice a lot right and then you can make up you make all kinds of mistakes and you kind of figure things out and then there's the performance which usually went pretty good you know good enough but it was nice because there was practice time and then we could perform and practice time we could kind of work things out a little bit wouldn't that be cool if life was like that mm-hmm. You could practice, and then you have the performance, but I'm always performing. I send the email, and I can't be like, oh, that was just a practice. <laughs> the performance comes later. That was a practice email. That was a practice text. That conversation, wasn't that practice we're gonna do the performance later? would that be so cool if, if there was like a, more of a give and take like that? <laughs> So I want to acknowledge that like here I am I'm I'm in the place of performing and it has consequences that's just the way it is and that's just what comes with life but it also reminds me to be softer with myself and then lastly hopefully you hear with an artistic endeavor what's needed is patience, Kanti, and I want to share with you some words from the poet Rilke. This comes from a a letter he had written to a a young poet, the the poet Franz Kappas, who was just so great. He had written to Rilke asking for advice, and then Franz uh, collected all the letters that Rilke had written to him, and it's because of Franz Kappas that we have uh, Rilke's letters to a young poet. so beautiful. Rilke says, to be an artist means not to compute or to count and i find this so important so again to be an artist means to compute not to compute or to count it means rather to ripen as the tree which does not force its sap but stands unshaken in the storms of spring with no fear that summer might not follow it will come regardless but it only comes to those who live as though eternity stretches before him, before them, carefree, silent, and endless. I learn it daily, learn it with many pains for which I am grateful. What do I learn? Patience. Patience is all. So, may we bring beauty into this world through learning this art, this art of embodying the Dharma. Thank you. Thank you for your attention.